0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Okay. Welcome to family month. I am going to steal the table. Trees. Help me out. These are probably things you've seen before. And are they? I I hope uh, to make this a little obvious. um, They're even fresh. These are real, right? Okay, Are they alive? These ones, yes. That one, for a little while. (laughs) Cut it down yesterday. That one is a real picture of a real tree. So here's my point with this. You can clearly see that these are trees at different stages of what it means to be a tree. But none of them are any more or less a tree than the others. None of them are any more or less real. None of them are any more or less alive, with one exception. (laughs) Um, But they eventually will, will grow to look like uh, the, the progression that we see. This doesn't have any less value as a plant or potential as a plant than this one does, um, and so on and so forth. And as we kind of step into this season of family month and, and embrace some values, I think it's just a precious reminder that God has created people with the imprint of his image upon them there is no less or more value upon different people there is simply the image of god and all of that entails so there is love and value from the creator of the universe to all people um Is that in the way of the screen? You guys can probably take it back out for a little bit. Thanks for helping, guys. So our passage this morning addresses the differences in our ages. In this room during family month, we have children. We have our elders. According to most of my students, I'm like middle-aged, so apparently that's why I'm up here. And... This morning, our topic is radical love between the generations. Radical love between generations. We're going to look at uh, a pretty powerful Jesus interaction. But let me first start off with a psalm. Uh, So grab your Bibles. Here we go. I will be reading this one from the NIV this morning uh, as we use with our students. This is Psalm 145 verses three and four. And if you need one, you can put your hands up. Uh, But Psalm 145, verse three and four, this is what this says. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. I think the Psalms are often great little snippets of theology or, or little snapshots of what like ideal Christian community can look like. And, and do you feel that with this verse? I love this verse. I've, I've been drawn to this verse for a while. I actually discovered it. Uh, uh, well, I saw it again this last winter. It's on, it's on one of the walls of uh, the meeting room where we've been spending our last couple winter retreats with student ministry. I found it written on, on one of the walls there. And it speaks of this legacy of faith this great heritage of of something that we believe and hold dearly and and the glory and goodness of God that has been passed on and shared across centuries. And what a verse like this might remind you of is uh, in every great epic hero story, right, there's this this interaction, this close relationship of uh, somebody who's... Passing on, or as passed on, what they know to the next hero, right? Luke Skywalker had Obi Wan Kenobi. F- uh, Frodo had Aragorn, who had Gandalf. Katniss had that one guy. Um, so there's a picture. There, there's the goal. Psalm 145. This sounds great. Wouldn't it be awesome if everything was that easy? But there is a problem, and the problem is people. And sometimes we just don't see eye to eye. Sometimes we don't want each other around. Sometimes we aren't easily able to make good on this. So here's kind of the bulk of our passage this morning. This is an interaction Jesus has in Luke chapter 18. Um, Towards the middle of his ministry, and and Jesus is in the full swing of traveling and teaching, tons of interactions going from town to town. He's gathered his disciples. People know who he is. They know who the disciples are. There is this balance now of Jesus going and and finding new people, but also lots of people going and looking for Jesus. And so we're in the middle of that. This is Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, you will notice there's tension here. This is bring your kids to see Jesus day across Israel. And the disciples who are there with him and traveling with him are are actually trying to put up some some do not enter signs. And and the, the disciples are rebuking the parents in bringing their kids to Jesus. Who rebuked them? The disciples. What is a disciple? Supposed to be somebody who's a follower of Jesus, being changed by Jesus on the, on the mission of Jesus. So when you just read it like this, it looks as obviously dumb and bad as it gets. But you got to wonder, do Christians today feel the same ever about the nuisance of kids? Some of you just got pretty nervous. Uh, you can hold on to that. I'm, we're not preaching yet. But Jesus calls the children close to him. And he tells his disciples, do not prevent the kids. So he, he, he calls them, he invites, and he tells the disciples, don't, don't prevent them. And then he gets all theological. Right? In that last verse, in his response not really to the parents and and to the kids, his response to his own disciples, to his followers, he says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does all this mean? Jesus uses the kingdom of God language Uh, quite a bit throughout his Gospels to prove a variety of points and, and, and to make some statements about himself and what he's bringing into the world. He's consistently talking about this thing that's being ushered in, this idea that God is at work in the world. And most specifically, The kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. That's that's an attempt to get at everything that's being encapsulated when Jesus uses that phrase. We might say the kingdom of God is represented by, by when somebody lets Jesus be Lord. Everything that happens, everything that that means, everything going on there. He's describing a spiritual reality. Those who, we might use the language become Christian, but it's certainly a lot deeper than that. Those who are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have recognized God's grace in their lives, who are, who are attempting to align their, their character with his and their life with his, have apparently done that like a little child. So, did you notice the predicament that we kind of just landed ourselves in? We began looking at legacy and this great generation telling the next. And now we've ended with, with Jesus telling the adults to knock it off and to be more like a kid. Well, there's the there's answer to that, or, or, or I think a very significant help, and it's in our Bible. And it's actually back at the first verse we opened with. So if you want to flip back, we're going to grab Psalm 145 again. I cheated you guys a little bit earlier. Look at this verse one more time. One gener- well, I'll read the whole thing. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another They tell of your mighty acts. In the original Hebrew, there's one word that gets used twice. So we read it, one generation, that's the word door, D-O-R, door. Commends your works to, we've translated it another. It's the same Hebrew word, it's door. It literally reads generation to generation. This description of ideal Christian community does not actually contain an arrow pointing from older to younger. You guys who've lived a long time tell people who haven't lived as long about Jesus. That's not what's being portrayed in this passage. It is a double-pointed arrow. It's all the arrows you in your age bracket are impacting someone outside your age bracket. Someone outside your age bracket is impacting you. And what exactly are these generations doing? We'll, we'll look at what's going on in this, in this verse. Commend your works. Tell of your mighty acts. They're doing worship. They're called together in this idea of glorifying God, of praising the creator of the universe, of worship. And so, we take Jesus' powerful object lesson in Luke, and we hold that alongside this idea right here in Psalm 145. And here's where I think this leaves us five points which didn't all fit on one slide, so I will read them now, and we will go through them slowly where they will have their own slide. Here's where I think this leaves us. Number one, the desired outcome is an increase in worship of God. Number two, the crossing of generations helps accomplish this. Number three, people have a tendency to resist this, both from older to younger and from younger to older. Number four, Jesus addresses this by bringing a young person into proximity as well as instruction that that perhaps the best example of faith comes from a young person. And then number five, therefore not only do we gain from the example and difference of those in a different age bracket, we also help shape and form the faith of someone who is a different age than us so, let me go through those. The desired outcome is an increase in worship of God. I would be curious, does anybody in this morning hope that at the end of this service you would worship God less? How about maybe like your your uh, annual new year's resolution? Has anyone ever set one of those to worship less? So we don't do that we have this we have this understanding it is. It it is good to worship God, and it would be better to worship God more. This is actually one of those universal, uh, inherent goods that humans have agreed on. doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. You can replace God with whatever that thing is that you value most, that you love the most, that gives you the most life, that sets your identity. It is good to be around that thing and to enjoy it. It would be better to do that more. We are wired for worship. And there's not one of us that says that thing that we have decided is worthy of our worship, that we should scale back from that. No, there's this ever-present hope that we'd get better, that we would worship pure, that we would worship honestly, that we would worship well, that we would worship consistently. The Westminster Catechism, an incredible document from uh, a big gathering of Christians and churches from almost 400 years ago, says it this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we were created. That is the best thing that we could do. Worship is ultimate. And apparently... The crossing of generations helps us in this. Our confuture is so confused about itself right now, sometimes you have to say crazy things like this. Uh, If you are a male, it is good to be male. If you're female, it's good to be female. If you are black or Hispanic or Asian, it is good to be black or Hispanic or Asian. If you're white, it's good to be white. If you're 14, it is good to be 14. If you're 75, it is good to be 75. This is how God has created us. There is not a better age to be. There is not a worse age to be. Even though, and I'm in student ministry, so I may experience the bulk of this, nobody wants to be the age they are. (laughs) They're always excited about a different one. But there's not a tear. The kid, the young person, those who are older, they're not any less alive or created by God or valuable. Now there are differences, but not those kinds of differences. They may have, and this would be a huge generalization, they may have different amounts of traits or different types of traits. Perhaps we see a a small child and and we see the joy and we see the potential and we just see the life, right, and the, the unhindered ability to make people laugh by blowing bubbles, And then we see an older person, a slightly older person, maybe someone from like my student ministry or a young adult, and we see the activity, and we see the strength, and we see the questioning, and we see the pursuit of things. And then as you go on and on, maybe you see different levels of wisdom, and, and an experience and a grounded rootedness in Christ. So there may be differences as we go through life, but those aren't meant to set us apart. Those are meant to help us worship. There are things that you do not possess or experience, that someone who is 10, 20, 30 years different than you does possess an experience. And by God's purposeful design, we are helped in our pursuit of Jesus by those that are in a different age bracket than us, on either side. I feel incredibly fortunate. I got to experience some of this when I was a lot younger. And uh, in, in a variety of ways, but one that's always stood out to me is is when I was in high school, junior year maybe. Uh, it, that was shortly after Hurricane Katrina, and I got to go on a very intergenerational mission trip to Louisiana, and to help uh, with the recovery of the city of New Orleans and those around it. And I think I was actually the second or third youngest person on the trip. There were. One middle schooler, a couple high schoolers, a bunch of parents. We had a 75-year-old guy named Ray that knew every tractor ever. And, And he did all of the tractor things, ripping up trees, just having the time of his life. And I was on that trip, and, and still, I, I know what I gained from that trip. It was so powerful, these, these memories and, and these experiences that shaped me. From, from the people that were older than me on that trip, I learned about some of their selflessness. right? People in their 40s who, who weren't as uh, maybe short-visioned as I was. Um, And I learned about worship as I got to watch my parents and their friends and and those who'd just been following Jesus for years when we'd come together and worship. And I got to watch them. I learned about history. I learned about the history of my own church. I learned about history that they'd gone through. And I made friends with people that were 30 years older than me that I still could call, that still are friends. It was an amazing, amazing uh, experience and, and these types of things shaped who I am as a Christian. But as we saw in, in Jesus' interaction in Luke, it can be tricky. And so I would say people sometimes have a tendency to resist this. And it's not one direction only, both from older to younger and from young to old. And I think this is because to do diverse relationships well, of any kind, is hard. And so there's this natural resistance, in part because of sin, because we like comfort, we like familiarity, we like what's easy, and and when you walk into a room, we're, we're kind of naturally inclined to look for people that look like us and go from there. And what I've experienced is this actually starts really early, and it can last a very long time. Uh, We experience it occasionally when we combine middle school and high school. And I hear about it from some students that would rather not hang out with other students because they're too immature and I choose not to say anything. And I've also had a, a conversation that will never leave my mind. I had a conversation not here in, in another place with someone that I deeply respected. It actually had been an elder at a former church, and he told me that he just prefers affinity groups. By that I mean a small group of people that just are the same age and kind of want to do what he wants to do. And, and, and I know a lot of us think that, but this was someone who actually just said that. And there it is. And so this, this is natural for us. It is actually harder to step out of our comfort zones at times and to press into something that is a little different. And I hope you'll notice on this point, I, I said that this is a growth area for people. People have a tendency to resist this. I did not, I did not claim this about the church. And this might, that would be a natural thing to do. And, and I think a church, by definition, should be wildly multi-generational. If Jesus has called people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation and also from every age and everything like that. And I believe that. And to be honest, this might be a little awkward for a moment. Um, I've been here four years and I'm not, confident that this is necessarily an amazing strength of North Shore. I mean, this this is incredible. What a cool opportunity, and what a value stated that we have a whole month to spend time with something like this. An amazing open door. But I wonder about true discipleship level relationships between demographics. And I think there is much deeper that we could go. I, I spent a lot of time and thought over this for the last couple of weeks and I actually asked a whole group of people. Uh, you could guess, but I have a lot of hats, so you, you may or may not get it right. But I, I had a conversation with a group of people. Do you, do, you feel, do you feel this well at North Shore? Do you feel the deep relationships across ages? And the, the answer was largely No. And, and that, that resonates with some of my own observations and, and experience here and some different things of, of in student ministry. How do we get more uh, people involved, parents, and, and this mission trip that we're going to take in a couple of weeks here going down to Johnny Camp. I've got, uh, I've got people in their 10s, 20s, 30s, and one blessed 60-year-old. And I wanted more. I asked a lot more. I am so happy for the team that we have, and I am beyond excited for this trip, but this has proven to be something that is difficult for us. So we've got, we've, I, I think we have an amazing start. We have great events here that are open door for the whole family. But could we press a little deeper? Are there partnerships between 30s and 60s, between 10s and 40s. I would say maybe not many. But the point of a sermon is never to shame a church. It is to exhort the people. And what makes a well-integrated, multi-generational church are people who have believed this example that Jesus has set, who have learned from Jesus in appreciation of what can be gained from those outside your age bracket. People who work to bridge that gap because it does take work through events, side-by-side serving, or friendships, or discipleship. Which brings us back again here to number four. Jesus addresses this by, by bringing a young person into the proximity of the group. Right, we would assume largely they're, they're adults and he takes a small kid and actually uses some instruction that the best example of pure faith comes from a young person. And he points to one thing in particular, right? We, we, we've kind of gleaned this phrase from that. Faith like a child, childlike faith. Um, that's, that's being wrapped up here he's he's saying the kingdom of god is for those who will receive it like a little child with faith like a young person one thing a kid is not and i mean like the really little kids um, is self-righteous they might be self-centered self-oriented selfish all those things my kids every one of those things but they're not self-righteous at all. They try to believe with all their heart and wrap their mind around what you're saying. And it's absolutely beautiful. I, I, I well up a little bit. Just a couple days ago, walking up to go do bedtime, and, and my little three-year-old is writing a song, just singing to Jesus, Random words getting mushed together, playing with her toes, just loving, singing about Jesus. It's incredible. Not worried about what people will think, not worried about what comes next, not trying to solve theological problems, not going through, you know, any of that. Just, you can learn a ton about the simple acceptance of the gospel from a toddler. And I guarantee that some of our greatest authors and preachers who have written about faith, they have learned from the example of young people. That's how we're able to say some of the things that we're able to say is is reading our Bibles and saying, well, what's, what's here that's different? How are the little children doing this? What do I need to learn? And so then... Therefore, not only do we gain from the example and differences of those in a different age bracket, but we also help shape and complete the faith of those in a different age bracket. If one generation increases the worship of another generation, then there's a double implication for us. One is to receive well people Uh, outside your demographic observe them their differences and strengths befriend them don't only criticize be curious not only confused but two pursue relationship do you disciple somebody younger Do you listen to them and their doubts, their questions, their particular struggles? Are you friends with families of a a range of ages? Do you ask questions of those who are older, trying to understand how they have gone through maybe some of the exact same things that, that you've gone through, how they've solved problems that you currently observe? If the answer to all that is no, then there's a piece of the great commission that's being left out. But when the answer is yes, I believe the Bible is saying with with a great deal of clarity that your worship will be increased. There's much to be gained about our knowledge and our experience with Jesus from someone we might not expect. I've been thinking about how to end this Um, and just reflecting on on worship. And I, I know I learned a great deal of how to worship from my parents and they learned from their parents. And eventually in different places that might have been biological. My mom's family has a great history. My dad's family does not. So he learned from more uh, metaphorical adopted type parents. But he learned from those who had gone before him. And I got to watch my parents and and so on and, and so on. And as the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us this morning about generational relationships, I also thought of worship that has been passed on from generation to generation. And I think one of the clearest examples we have are some of the great hymns of the church. In particular this morning, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is the most recorded song ever. Currently has right now over 6,600 different recordings of Amazing Grace that you may or may not be able to find in the depths of the internet. But for over 250 years now Christians have grown up and reclaimed that song as one of their anthems and then the next generation grew up and have claimed that song of one of their anthems and it continues and continues and there's, there's something to the power of the eternal and all applicable gospel of Jesus Christ that is for everyone for teenagers for those who are setting up what their legacy might be. So I wanted to just take this, this song together. Let's, let's sing it out. And as you do, note the different voices. One God, many ages. It's a beautiful picture. God, would you increase our worship today, tomorrow, tomorrow, As we get around others, let us rub off on each other. And would you now receive our worship? Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Amen.